service, we get all the kids in here. We'll, we'll have you just kind of show there they are. It's so good to have y'all with us today. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I know Grandma and Grandpa are just <laughs> beside themselves today. It's going excitement. Amen. And this baby is destined to be spoiled without yeah. a doubt. That's right. That's okay. There is no doubt about that. But That's I'm right. so looking forward to Jesus lets us know that 
his mom and dad no doubt became very frantic. Uh, they were searching with every, they were probably employing everyone they could getting the word out. Family members were joining in the search probably. Acquaintances, neighbors, people that didn't even know them. My brother went missing in Walmart one time. He was hiding in the in a clothes rack. He, my mother just about lost it. She uh, it scared her to death. One time, one time uh, we lived for a short period of time uh, in a duplex that was actually right behind the Walmart. And one time, uh, I think he went to Walmart. Another time, another time. Uh, before he was just real small, he hid in the doghouse out back. My parents, they they, uh, they were probably paying for their raisins or something. I don't know, but but uh, uh, I don't think I ever did anything like that that I recall. If I did, it was an accident. If I if I got a, well, yeah, I mean he did it on purpose. Sometimes <laughs> I'm picking on my brother, and he's not here to defend himself today. But, I, I was, it, with me, it was the other way around. If I got where I didn't know where they was at, scared me half to death, you know. But, but this was uh, no doubt an emotional thing. Can you imagine? I mean, many of your parents, you know what it is, kind of what that sense of overwhelming fear that comes over you in that instant when you realize it's a, it's a scary, scary thing. I want to just, I want you to think for a moment, though, about how that uh, submission is required for society to work, for life to work. Let's, let's just take a simple example. How about a yield sign? The very word yield should be enough for us to understand that we give place to someone else. We withhold our uh, desire, whatever, to be in a hurry to go. We give place to someone else. But how many knows that not everybody understands a yield sign the same way? Some folks, it must be a foreign language to them <laughs> because it, it's just, uh, it's, it's, I think it's hard at times for all of us because there's something in human nature that uh, we, we don't enjoy yielding uh, to, to someone else. To, to, uh, there's just something in us. We like to be in control. It's not an easy thing for us. And it's not something that we we do uh, sometimes uh, real willingly. Uh, we it's, it's, we just find it difficult, I think. But of course, Jesus is the ultimate example. The way he entered this world, the way he lived his life, and the way he exited this life or his life on this earth. Is, is just an, an exceedingly awesome pattern for all of us in how we ought to conduct our lives. I think that if, we'll, if we can follow that example, and of course that's a, that is a, a high bar that has been set. Right. But if we can follow that example with the help of the Lord, it is the key in our lives to to some of the greatest blessings that life has to offer. It's, it's, uh, it, I know it's hard, you know, to understand as, as children, uh, we, we very early develop a propensity to, we want our will. We want what we want to do. Uh, if we're hungry, we, it doesn't matter to us that, that we've got a schedule, that we've got something we're supposed to do, that we're in the middle of a church service, and the, the, the child is hungry, and everything has to stop as far as they're concerned. Uh, 
they don't yield, they, they don't have a, they don't understand a yield sign, in other words. And, 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 and we learned that very early on, and it becomes difficult for us. It's always difficult, and, and uh, we need the Lord's help with that. Now, let's talk for just a moment about the surroundings, the setting for our, our passage of Scripture this morning. Uh, the Passover was a very exciting and important part of a Jewish family's life. There was, it was a time of remembering, it was a time of celebrating their deliverance from, from Egyptian bondage. Uh, it occurred in the springtime of the year. It was connected with the barley harvest. In fact, they would do uh, that, the, the first fruits of the barley harvest uh, during this time, an offering unto the Lord. And in our scripture setting, we're told that it was the custom of Mary and Joseph to, uh, to do this every year, to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. In ancient times, that would have, the journey uh, from where they lived to Jerusalem would have, would have been a pretty, uh, it, it was no easy undertaking. It's not just jumping in the car and running down a parable to eat lunch or something. It's, uh, or, or getting in your car and coming to church. It, it was, a, it was a, a, a pretty good journey for them. And uh, Nazareth and Jerusalem were far enough apart. Uh, it's around 80 miles. And, and, and so, uh, you know, today 80 miles is nothing to us. Uh, you know, but in that day and time, that was no easy journey. It would take them nearly three days to make that trip. So I want you to imagine just for a moment a three-day trip. Where would that be? As a child, uh, my grandparents lived in California. We would drive to California for trips, uh, and, and, and it was three days. We'd be in California in three days. For them, 80, 90 miles is three days. It, it's, it's a pretty big undertaking. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we, back, you know, the, it sounds like I'm really old, I'm not. Somebody's a year old, I heard that. Uh, we're, we're uh, we, we would take a, a cooler and a loaf of bread and some bologna, and we'd pull over to rest stop. That's how we, when we traveled, a lot of times that's the way we ate. But there wasn't a restaurant every corner, every town back then. And, uh, uh, and if there was, uh, they were expensive. And, you know, it was a big trip. It cost money. And so, you know, a lot of times we would we would do that when I was really small. As we got older, things changed. But uh, can you imagine for them? They had to have something to eat. They got a plan. It, 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 it took some effort and all of that to be ready for that. Now, women weren't required to make this trip for the Passover, but the very fact that Mary went tells us something about her. Are you ladies here today? Uh, obviously, she was a devoted woman herself. Uh, and I think we can also see in this that she was submitted to her, her family, her husband, and her spiritual uh, beliefs, her, her faith. Uh, she was submissive in those things. And, and and to God in worship. We talked about worship Wednesday night. Uh, I think that's significant in helping us to understand how Jesus would have grown up going to Jerusalem every year for Passover and had Probably by the time he is 12 years old, he's, he's very familiar with it. It's, he's, he's done it a bunch of times that he can remember, and, and he's, he's, uh, he's very comfortable moving in the large crowds. And, and, uh, and, and probably most, most time folks would travel in groups. They would be not only Mary and Joseph, but very likely maybe some cousins and uncles and aunts, and maybe even nephews and things that, family members that, that all making this trip kind of together and loosely traveling together maybe sharing uh, food and things like that and it's kind of like family reunion you know uh, and, and so they uh, Jesus was quite comfortable no doubt in the press of the crowd and all of that and uh, familiar with the surroundings and so the book of Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth and then it just kind of uh, skips 
after he's presented, uh, you know, Simeon in the and in the temple and all of that. From that point, just as a as, as pretty much a baby until he is uh, until he is uh, goes to Jerusalem at twelve years old. Uh, there's nothing in between. We don't know anything about. And after this event, it's going to be years that are skipped ahead, and we're not going to know anything about them either. What was the significance for this event that Luke would say, this has got to be included. This is part of the story. You need to understand this to really understand, you know, there's something important here about the life of Christ. It's not just a you know, we all got memories of, of trips we made, vacations we took and stuff like that. I don't think this is just a scrapbook, you know, that they just threw in some stuff and said, oh yeah, that, you got to tell that story, you know. I, I think that there's significance spiritually here in this passage, in this setting, in this event that took place when, when Jesus was 12 years old and went to Jerusalem, where, by the way, it's estimated there was probably about 2 million people in Jerusalem at Passover. Uh, we see the pictures of the Temple Mount and stuff like that. And we, we don't imagine a massive city. And it wasn't a massive city except at the times of these feasts when, when uh, Jews were commanded, you know, to go to the Temple. And so that we've come not only from Judea in the south and Israel in the north, and uh, but also from countries, foreign countries, uh, distant places where uh, uh, Jewish families that were uh, faithful to God, uh, where wherever they lived, they would they would make this this journey, and so the it was kind of like the Fourth of July picnic at Corning or Labor Day picnic at Rector except bigger, and it was it was uh, people come from all over. But many of those people, you, had, you you knew some of them, you know. They were friends would come in, people you hadn't seen in a long time. This is the the the, the surroundings and the circumstances and the setting for all of this taking place. Uh, now, the Jewish practice known as bar mitzvah uh, had not yet came into to be, they, that's where uh, a 13 year old boy, they have a, a celebration, a ceremony, and it is at that stage that he, uh, responsibilities of adult begin to be placed on him. And uh, although the practice had not yet been instituted at this point in time, Still, in Jewish culture and life, uh, the the seeds of that was no doubt there. Probably at 12 years old, uh, around this age, he is being prepped and told, "Okay, now, 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 son, you're you're uh, you, you're 12 years old now. Uh, it, it's it's time for you to begin to understand uh, that you need to begin to act like an adult. You need to." Uh, accept some responsibility and, and uh, it may seem very young to us uh, right now imagine a 12 year old how many of y'all would take directions from a 12 year old or something but 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 at 12 years old in that culture uh, there was uh, you know they, they began to to uh, I, I don't mean this negatively necessarily toward our society today but but we do in western culture have this kind of idea that oh okay well he's a teenager now he's going to sow his wild oats and he's just going to do crazy stuff for a few years and uh, he'll eventually grow up I'm not sure that it's such a bad thing that in the Jewish culture at 12 years old they're telling them it's time to start taking responsibilities uh, and and we expect this of you, and, and and some freedoms come along, and of course there's tensions always in this time of life. Uh, 
in a young person at 12, 13 years old, there's there's a lot with the parents and everything. Parents are uh, find it difficult a lot of times to to allow you know the boundaries to be stretched some that have been in place for a long time and all of that. I, I can imagine that behind the words that we read on the pages, uh, there there is a, there's there's emotion here. There's there's a lot of stuff here for both for the young man as well as for uh, his his earthly parents and. And, and so we, we don't see that necessarily unless we think about it. But then once you think about it and you begin to read the text, it sort of begins to come alive to you. And we can all wonder, how in the world could they have lost a 12-year-old boy? You know? I mean, obviously, slipping off for a few minutes or even an hour and have to go hunting down. Uh, we could easily see that happening, but it's hard for us to understand that they, they get, you know, part way home before they realize that he's not in the car, if you will. He's not with them. Uh, it's, so so it's, a, it's a legitimate question. What, what is the, uh, is it, was it so different back then? What, what is the deal? And, but, but let's think for a moment. First of all, it no doubt was a confusing and, uh, you know, hectic time. They've been in Jerusalem. They've been celebrating the Passover. Uh, but now they got to grab all their belongings, get all their stuff together, and head back on this trip. It's going to take them a good while. You know, they're going to have to spend nights on the side of the road and all of that. they got to get all their stuff together and get prepared for this trip home. And, and, and traveling, perhaps, in groups like that and everything, there's, uh, there's all these cousins and all that thing. The, the family's just kind of all traveling together. And remember now, he's a 12-year-old boy. He's, he's supposed to be accepting responsibilities of manhood and things. And so they're, uh, they're, they're uh, they, you know, he's been there many times. It's, he's, he's, he's probably with the, his cousins, you know. They're, they're, they're right over there. He's probably with that group right there, you know. And, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's not as difficult uh, to imagine if you really think about it. Secondly, they're mentally and physically exhausted. It was a long trip down there. Now they've been celebrating and worshiping and all this stuff, and, and now they're going to turn around and go home. By now, they're about half wore out. Since Kim went on a little uh, retreat uh, last couple of days, and and uh, she she come home last night. She was wore out. She was retreating, but now she's wore out. She was resting, but now she's wore out. And just you know. And and uh, ain't nothing like your own chair and your own bed and your own house, you know. And, and uh, they're away. They're they're no doubt tired and weary somewhat. And I, I don't think for a minute that they intentionally left him in Jerusalem. Uh, they they it, it, it wasn't they weren't bad parents. Let's get let's get past that right now. They were not bad parents. They loved him. They they raised him right. That's one of the reasons they expected that he would have known when it was time to go and would have been with the group of folks they was traveling with and everything. Quite simply, it just happened. That's that, That's all you can really say. It, it, it wasn't an indication that they lacked concern or that they uh, just didn't love him or something like that. Uh, then we'd be assuming too much. But on the first evening of their journey, maybe they're just getting ready to set up camp or maybe they're getting ready to fix a meal and 12-year-old boys are hungry. So, you know, it's it's one thing when you don't see them for a little while, but when supper's on the table, you know, somehow they have a way of showing up, you know, and and it dawns on them he, he's not there. They start looking around, asking family members, uh, you see, when did you last see him? Where where did you last see him? And they begin to 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 ask everybody. When everybody they know doesn't give them answer that they was hoping for, they start asking complete strangers, hey, you see a little boy, not this tall, you know, uh, dark hair, and, and they, and, and, and then, then they have to make the decision to go back to Jerusalem because the answer they got from everybody was, last time I saw him was in Jerusalem. So they, they began this journey back like any mother and father would and began their search for Jesus. Frantic and, 
and, and uh, probably scared somewhat and worried and all of that. And, and they get back to Jerusalem. So they get to Jerusalem. Where do they go? Uh, well, maybe the marketplace. There's probably food there. He's probably been hungry, you know. So they look in the market. Maybe there's places where folks gathered or something. Probably the last place that you would expect to find a 12-year-old boy would have been at the temple, right? I mean, where would you have been when you was 12 years old? Probably not at the temple. Uh, you just left to go where you want to go. Uh, you know, when I was 12 years old, I'd have been in the woods or uh, I'd have been somewhere I go where I want to go. And so they 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 frantically searching everywhere for him. And it may have been a while before they figured out where he was at. They found him. But after all, after a while, the Bible says in verse 46, and it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. So they they you know they had journeyed like a whole day out. They journeyed a whole day back, and now they've been looking all day, and then they find him in the temple. Listen, it says, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions, and all that heard were amazed at his understanding and answers. I can just imagine there's a crowd gathered around him, and someone had pointed them there and said that he's over there. And they, they, they come in the back of this crowd, they're on their tiptoes looking, and they see this 12-year-old boy sitting in the middle of all of these doctors of the law, and he's asking them questions, and, and, and he's, he's, he's discussing with them uh, the scriptures, and they're uh, they're they're in a deep discussion with the, the, these older men, and, and the the look on the men's faces, that the, their awe and his knowledge and understanding and his wisdom and everything. Uh, the Bible says, hearing them and asking them questions. I want us to just stop right here and dwell right here for just a little bit because this is the crux of what I feel today. Jesus was in no way coming across as a know-it-all. Right. That's right. He's asking them questions. He's sort of on their territory, in their minds anyhow. It's really his territory. But he's, he's, he said, hey, what do you think about this? What does this mean? You know, I, I'm just imagining here today. He's he's not like you guys got it all wrong. Here's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right? Now, I believe that there's a lot to be seen in Jesus' life about how to make disciples, and uh, I, I believe that. His effectiveness at doing that is the reason that we have the gospel today. The reason it's been passed down to us. The reason that there's a church today is because that he he took some men and he uh, he was able to draw them in and and teach them, model for them. They became disciples of him. So much so that even when things happened to him that they didn't anticipate and it looked like maybe maybe the result of his teachings was just like every other rabbi or someone that rose up with a revolutionary message, it was going to be crushed by the Romans and by the, the Sanhedrin and, and it, that, it, that was the end of that. Something in them said, no, there's more. There's something about him. And then, of course, we know how that he showed up and resurrected form to them. And then the death of Pentecost and all of that happened. But, but the preparation had been poured into them for three and a half years. 
as he traveled with them and taught them, but he drew them to himself. They, they left businesses, careers, jobs, their means of making a living. They left that stuff to follow him. Something, he had a way of drawing them. And we can easily say, well, he was God, you know. I mean, he could do miracles. Uh, but uh, I, I believe there's far more to it than that. I believe there was something about the way that he approached them, that he talked to them, that he uh, was, was interested in them, that like even at 12 years old, when he goes to the temple and he's not throwing the book at them, but he's asking them questions and engaging in conversation with them, submitting to their authority. He's not going in there uh, doing things on his own terms in the sense of, of uh, you know, like later turning over the tables of the money changers, he's he, he's he's going in there in a setting that they understand, and yet, yet as a young boy, uh, something is happening, and they're witnessing this this uh, evidence of the great wisdom and knowledge that this young twelve-year-old boy had. But he was willingly to humbly sit there and listen to their answers and, and ask them questions. He understood the power of submitting himself before sharing what he had to say. Are you with me this morning? Amen. Now, what's our responsibility? What, what is our mission? We're to go into all the world and make disciples. Right? We are to be fishers of men. Jesus would teach the disciples. He said, some of them were fishermen. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Follow me. I'm going to make you watch me. Listen to me. Watch what I do. I'm going to make you fishers of men. We ought to look and see what he did so that we can learn how right. to be what he's called us to be and wants us to be fishers of men. And, and it's so obvious here and, and Luke thought it important for us to see and understand that even at 12 years old, this, this Jesus is, is going into the, the, the religious settings there. Not all of them were pure in heart. Not all of them. Some of them were, were the folks who would stand on the street corners and beat their chest and say, look at me, you know. Uh, and and that, that's the company, some of the folks that he's conversing with here and everything. Uh, but but he, he goes into that setting and he just simply starts asking questions and, and, and submitting himself to them. You know, he's, he's not out of place or out of order. He's, he's, this, I think, is, is very important to our understanding today. And I think Luke wanted us to understand and see that too. They, they had no clue who he was. But on this day, I think, I think in his parents' mind, even though the angels had spoken, prophesied, and all of that. I, I think that on this day, their minds got opened up a little bit more as to who this kid was, who this child was. And certainly, the not just his parents, but those around him. But even at that, Mary is still mama. That's the truth. That's right. Uh, I think it's fair to say she probably got a little angry. I mean, every mama I ever knew. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of some things I've heard mama say right now. And you are too, probably. Yeah. What would, what, can, can you imagine what, what, uh, <coughs> what Mary thought, what she at least wanted to say if she didn't say it? Probably did say some things, and we can just not record that scripture here. But, but, uh, imagine, you know. Where have you been? What in the world were you thinking? Yep. <laughs> what? Who do you think you are? Just go off on your 
strong like this and 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 not be where you're supposed to be. And I can even go a little further. Just wait till you get home. <laughs> I, I, when I was a kid, I'd much rather God was thinking at church than to have my mom and dad tell me, you're getting one when you get home. That ride home was one of the most awfulest memories of childhood. I'd rather have the whooping than that ride home. Lord have mercy. But the tension that must have been in this situation here that, that we can we can just almost feel. And so maybe some of those who was with Mary and Joseph that was part of the search party, uh, maybe they we're curious now to see how Mary and Joseph, Joseph were going to react. What was going to be their response? What was going to happen? And what Jesus would say or do as well. But his response is amazing. He is in no way disrespectful. To, to his mother, he says, he simply says, wish you not that I must be about my father's business. Twelve years old. Time to start taking responsibility. Right. She didn't understand this saying, but she kept it in her heart. The Bible lets us know. And as a twelve-year-old boy, I imagine there's some of that tension between is it my time? Uh, is uh, he's thinking about what he's supposed to do with his life and engaging what these guys may have seen the thing to do? Uh, I, 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 I can just kind of imagine, you know, maybe a little bit of what was going through minds and everything, but. Even though they recognized his wisdom and his great knowledge, they didn't fully understand what he was saying. Here's what it says, verse 50. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Wist you not. But listen to this, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. He went down with them. I mean, he says, wish you not that I be about my father's business. Don't you want me to be about my father's business? But he's not disrespectful, and he completely is obedient and submissive to the parental authority that God had placed him under while here on this earth. While he had the power, hear me this morning, to do whatever he will, he chose. He chose to be submissive to that earthly authority. He could have risen up and demanded that they go their way and let him do what he, what, what he was going to do. Stay and do his father's work. But instead, he simply did what mom and dad asked him to do. He returned with them and submitted himself to them. Stayed submitted to them. Philippians 2 and 5 speaks of this submission. It says, let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I believe it was there when he was 12 years old. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's the perfect example, the perfect pattern of one who submitted to earthly and spiritual authority. He willingly gave up his personal desires in order to submit to the plan of God. That plan required him to submit to 
in man. Huh? Refusing to submit to either one would not be complete submission. But he was the complete example of that. Paul wrote, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And we love that verse of scripture because we understand the name. Starts with wherefore. God has highly exalted him and given him a name. What is the wherefore? What is the wherefore? Therefore. Alright. So we gotta trace it back here. Wherefore, God has given him this name. The wherefore is because verses five through eight that we just read said this man was in him and it ought to be in us. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He submitted himself. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. The man Christ Jesus submitted himself and because of that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every In other words, when we submit, we release God to elevate and to promote us to places where we can be most effective for him. Right. Amen. Humble submission puts us in a place where God says, that's a person I can use. That's a person I can work with. That's a person I can elevate. That's a person I can place into positions and circumstances where they will do great things and be effective in the kingdom of God because they were not only submissive to God, submissive to God really required them and he was willing to be submissive to the authorities in this earthly life. That allowed him to be the great redeemer the great captain of our salvation. Right. Ooh. Amen. I don't know about you, but I won't be like my captain. Yeah. I mean, in the military, you know, when they pin them bars on them and stuff like that, someone in authority over them gives them that promotion, gives them that, uh, you know. A lot of times, it's not always, but a lot of times, a, a person is a real soldier. Um, they, they love their captain. They love that person. So, you know, one, one reason why is because they have to depend on each other. They know that in certain given circumstances, they have to depend on that person's judgment. They have to depend on that person uh, uh, being their... Uh, making the right decision to protect their own lives and for them to work together. Right. Uh, they, and, and so there, there's just this kind of natural thing that they have deep respect and honor and also even love for those that, and, and I know people today, I, 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 we had someone just not that long ago talk to our men's group, uh, talking about how that uh, he looked up someone who had been a, like a superior officer to him in the military that he had such a high degree of respect for and love for and, and changed his life and he wanted to he, he looked that person up knocked on their door he wanted them to know how much impact they had in his life and and i i think that we we uh when when, when it comes to submission amen 
God God has great plans for for our lives. He's He's got He knows the plans that He has for us, right? Amen. Right. Amen. Come on now. He knows the plans that He has for you. Yes. God knew the plans that He had for Jesus, but. Jesus wasn't so heavenly minded he was no earthly good. He walked into a temple at 12 years old. He was submitted to those guys. And, and he, he used the wisdom that would enable him to have men that would say, like Peter, I'll die for you. Right. They had a problem with it, kind of some things when it come down to it at times, but but something in him said, I'll die for you. Right, right. And the fact of the matter is, all of them, I think, but one, history tells us, did, were willing to die for him. Paid the ultimate price, sacrifice. They did die for him. They just didn't say that they did. How did it get to that place? I think it's because it, he... He did not approach them like someone who knew it all, someone who necessarily had all the answers. He approached them like somebody who was interested in them. I mean, Jesus went fishing. Jesus said to a tax collector, I won't go eat with you today. He was interested in him, right? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He had, I, I mean, he had all kind of business to be about, things to do. And here's this guy who's hiding up in a tree or climbed up in a tree to be able to see anyhow. And, and he's sort of an outcast and they probably wouldn't have let him in amongst the group anyway because he's hated by most of the Jews because he collaborates with the Romans and in, in, in taxing them and then skims off the top for herself and they, they, if there's anybody that hate it's a tax collector probably and guess what? Jesus says uh, you guys go find something to do I'm going to go home with this guy I want to eat, eat lunch with him today he was truly interested in them and it gives us a key but the great the great power that he had was because he was willing to submit. Jesus said, the words you hear me speak are not the words of my father's. I always speak what he says. His thoughts are not my thoughts, they're his thoughts. I always speak his thoughts. He said at one point, I always do the will of my father. He did. Always did the will of his father. I sat and thought about what this young man's life was like. It must have been very different because, in some ways, because, because he was sinless. That means rebellion never showed up in him. Rebellion against parents. It, there must have been such a marked difference between him and his brothers. Because they were human. And they were not authority. Now people under me and I understand authority. And I know 
that you can just simply speak the word and it will be done. This man understood something about submission and authority and where, where authority comes from. Authority comes from submission. I mean, there's, there's always 500 folks running around wanting to be an authority that are not submitted. And their voices are like sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. It don't resonate with us because we understand that a true authority comes from submission. Where does the sergeant get his authority from? I, I, I don't know enough about military to go down the ranks and all and explain all that. Some of you probably could. But it, it, he gets that authority that he has from a superior. He gets it from a superior. And, and then the Bible tells us that authority is from God. God allows this to happen. The policeman. The scripture talks about that too. It says they don't bear the sword in vain. There's a reason. And God has created human life and he has placed uh, the, the responsibility, the duty, the right for self-governance society and for law and officers of the law and all of that all of that said where does that come from it comes from God doesn't mean every time every one of them is good every, every person in authority does what is right but when they are submitted when they do their job their duties and submission it gives authority to their words I believe God wants to raise the level of the authority with which we speak. Would you hear me for just a moment here as I close this morning? I believe God wants to raise the level of authority with which we speak into our world. Amen. Yes. He wants you to call things that be not as though they are. Tom's interpretation the other night, and the essence of the interpretation was ask and I'll do it. He wants you to have the kind of authority to be able to ask and it happen. The key to that we see in Scripture is humble submission to Him. I mean, that didn't happen by accident the other night. There, there, there was a deep desire to be submitted to Him that's growing amongst us. And that, that has caused the Lord to say, I want to put Him in a position things to happen. I want to put them in a position where they're going to speak and things are going to happen. As we move into that, and I, I, I drove two and a half hours yesterday by myself on the highway and uh, I, during that time I took some time. I, I took some time. I, I told the Lord, I said, Lord uh, I'm going I'm to do today what you've been telling us to do. You said, ask and you'd do it. So, Lord, I'm going to ask some things. Oh, that old song said, I didn't come here to ask you for anything. I said, no, that's not today, Lord. I'm here to ask for some things. Because you told us to ask. So, driving down the road, I began to speak some things. Lord, I'm asking you for this. Lord, I want you to do this. Lord, I don't believe uh, I, I believe, Lord, that, that the things I'm asking for are things in your will. I'm not asking amiss. So I'm not going to ask for crazy stuff, Lord, that's to heap upon myself. But, but I'm going to ask for some things here, Lord. And I begin to ask. And I'm expecting, I'm expecting every one of them to come to pass. I believe in every single one of them is going to come to pass. I, I said, Lord, I'm going to ask very specifically because I don't want there to be any question down the road that this wasn't an answer to prayer. I'm asking very specifically, Lord. And that God, God just began to move in my heart as I began to pray and begin to ask those things. And, 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 and very quickly, the presence of God moved into that car as I was driving. I began to speak in tongues and I began 
to to uh, to magnify God and just praise the Lord and, and and there was such a sweet presence of His in that place. I, I believe that getting to the place that we can ask the things that He desires, pray the things that He desires, that is submission. That's what submission is. It's getting into that place. And when we get there, authority's going to come. When we get there, there's going to be a, a coming together, a synergy, and something's going to happen. It's going to come together. And, and suddenly there's going to be a clear and certain sound in our praying, in our words, in our witnessing. And, and people who have it together, people who have spent years studying scriptures but don't understand the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ are going to, they're going to be saying, I can't believe it. I had never seen this before. I, I, I've never heard it like this. I've never saw it. Where does this come from? And we're going to know where it came from. It came from our Heavenly Father who we're submitted to. Who we're submitted to. I believe it is part of that submission, part of God's plan that like Jesus who submitted himself both to God and man, the authorities God had placed in his life, I believe that, that it is that it is God's design plan that we would be submitted in a local church, that we would uh, that that we would willingly accept things at times that we may not fully understand, and like Jesus. Just go on doing what I, I feel like doing here, you know. Uh, my father's business. But there was an earthly order that God had established. And he submitted himself to his mom and dad, returned home with them in obedience. And later when he would come in his time, there ain't many folks who wasted 30 years old, you know, to start a ministry. And, and, uh, and most folks, man, they, they think they got together at 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there. They're going to change the world. They're going to show you how it's done and all of that. Jesus waits till his time. And during that time, in all those intervening years, I believe there was the submission in his life that gave him the authority that when he stepped out at 30 and began the ministry in three and a half years, It would change the world. Let's stand together this morning. What if we only have three and a half years till the Lord comes back? What if, what if we have five years, six years? What, 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 if, what if we just got a little while till the Lord comes back? Can we be effective enough that every creature has a gospel preached to them? Can we be effective enough that the gospel can be preached in all the world? That's what he's called us to do. Can we be that effective? If in three and a half years, Jesus' powerful, authoritative ministry was able to see the breakthroughs that would cause men to go to every part of the earth willing to die for this gospel, to give up houses and lands and careers and jobs and, and, and everything. Not everybody's required or expected to do that, but 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 what if, what if in the next three years, let's just say, what if in the next three years God would allow us to disciple some folks, uh, a, a, a group, 
just 12. Let's say, let's say, what if in the next three years God would allow us to disciple 12 people? Maybe, maybe they're just a teenager right now. Maybe they're, uh, may, maybe they're a young adult. Maybe, maybe there's someone who's never yet been to our church. But what if in the next three years God would allow us to disciple them and, and, uh, and, and with, with such a